little while back in January, I took Hayley down to Coffs Harbour. Um, our friends run a swimming centre there. So I was down there for a week while she did some swimming lessons. And uh, it's always a really good opportunity for me to catch up with my old friends. And we've got a lot of family down there. So I, one particular day, we all met in this big park and all the kids were playing, all Haley's cousins and, you know, I was hanging out with my sisters-in-laws and some of my friends. And it was the beginning of that really, really hot weather in January. It was a stinking hot day. And it took me a while to realise that I was actually getting really sick because I couldn't work out whether it was the heat of the day or it was my head burning off the top of my forehead. But as the day progressed, I realised I was not well. So on the way home that afternoon... I um, dropped into the shopping centre and um, I'd been wearing sunglasses all day because we'd been outside and it was really hot. I pulled my sunglasses off, walked through the shopping centre to go and buy some medicine and um, I started noticing people like, <laughs> like going like this as I walked past. Like <gasps> and I thought, gee, I must look really sick, you know. Like I knew my forehead was like on fire but I didn't, you know, didn't realise why everyone was staring at me. Anyway, so I made my purchase, got home, drove out to Neville's mum's place, walked in the front door, went into my bedroom and I looked in the mirror and I went, you're kidding. And with the heat of my fever, all my mascara and my eyeliner had rubbed all the way up to my eyebrows <laughs> and all the way down to here. I was scarier than Alice Cooper. Oh my God. I was so glad I hadn't bumped into anybody I knew. It was, it was a horrible sight. It was really bad. So I quickly grabbed the washer and scrubbed all the black boot polish look off my face. Okay, so I say all that because in James chapter 1, thanks Louis, it says this. It says, in simple humility, and I'm reading out of the Message Bible, let our gardener God landscape you with the word, making a salvation garden in your life. For all of you that were here for the tower versus the garden message, I'm going to add this one in now. It's a cool one. Okay, but it goes on to say, don't, forget yourself, um, don't fool yourself into thinking that you're a listener when you're anything but letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in a mirror, walk away, and two minutes later they have no idea who they are or what they look like. Father, I pray that you open every single one of our hearts today to hear what your spirit wants to say. Lord, cause our hearts to be fertile ground. Cause us to be soft. And Lord, I pray that for my own life as well. Lord, I'm really excited that you are going to bring about transformation in our lives. It's going to bring you glory and it's going to make us so much more effective being your witnesses in this world. Amen. Okay, so a mirror is an image reflector. And uh, when you look in the mirror, you see an image. And the Bible has a lot to say about images. It begins and it ends with some stories about images. So first of all, we'll start in Genesis in chapter 1. 26 to 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make people in our image to be like ourselves. They will be masters over all life, the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, all the livestock, wild animals and small animals. So God created people in his own image. God patterned them after himself, male and female. He created them. Have you ever been to a fun park and looked in those weird mirrors? You know, the ones that kind of make your neck stretch or you're fat here and you're skinny here and 
you know, they're, they're kind of good fun to look at, but you're really relieved that that's not what you really look like. Um, because the image is not true, okay? It's a false image. Um, it's not real, thank goodness. It's been distorted. There's actually something wrong with the mirror. There's something wrong with the image being um, projected. We are created in God's image and likeness, but because of sin, we're fallen and something has happened to our image. Uh, many years ago now, I sound like an old lady when I talk like that, no, no. <laughs> we, uh, Neville and I, when we were first married, we lived in Glen Innes up there on the mountains. And uh, we were involved in running a midweek um, kind of Bible study kind of group uh, with a friend of ours down near Newton Boyd, down in an alternative community called Waitalaba. Anyone ever heard of it? Okay, <laughs> all right. Um, now, Waitalaba is um, renowned for some pretty dark, outrageous practices down there. And that, so we're going back, you know, 25 years. Um, anyway, <laughs> we met lots of very interesting characters down in this alternate community. But one person comes to mind. His name was Neil. Now, Neil um, was, he was even really odd for the um, hardened Waitalabans, okay, down there. Um, Neil just used to walk around in just a thin cotton sarong. That's all he ever used to have on. Um, he had hair down to here, um, which was very beautiful hair, mind you. Um, even in the dead of winter, and you know how cold the mountains get and how cold Glen Innes gets, um, he would rarely have anything on except a sarong. Occasionally he'd put a coat on, but he still never had anything on his chest, okay? Um, and, um, you know, the kids used to get freaked out by Neil because he could actually sleep on the ground in the middle of winter. He'd wake up in the morning and the frost would go along the grass over his body and back along the grass again. And when he'd get up, there was a mark where Neil had been. It's a very odd character. Okay, but the oddest characteristic of all, and this is what used to freak out the locals, was that he would um, make his way into your home, uninvited, of course, and he would stand in front of people's bedroom mirrors for hours and hours and hours, totally transfixed with his image in the mirror. And they'd come home and they'd find Neil just standing there, staring at himself in the mirror, very disconcerting thing to find in your home when you come home. Okay, and he would turn around and he would tell them that he had been worshipping himself. Now, you can giggle about that, but I honestly find that quite disturbing because there's a little bit of that in all of us, isn't there? Okay, Romans 1 says, Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory or the image of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals. Now, if we go to the end of the Bible, we also have another string of images that are presented to us. In um, Revelations chapter 15, there's this huge, big description of the image of the, ma of, of the beast. Okay, Now, I'm not particularly interested in what your end-time philosophy is, this, this, um, this morning, but what I do want you to have a look at is the significance of the image of what's happening here. Okay, um, if you want to go home and have a read of that scripture, feel free. I'm not going to read it all out at the moment, <coughs> but it goes on to talk about 
that the, the beast actually presents this image. There's authority with it. There's words with it. There's this incredible onslaught against the church with it. Okay, and then we finally get up to Revelation um, 13, chapter fif- uh, verse 15. It says um, that the beast was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand and the forehead. Let one who has understanding calculate the number of the beasts, for it is the number of men. Revelations repeats this fairly often. There's this thing, this beast, sets up this image, and there's this mark that goes on our forehead. We don't normally like talking about that. It's a bit creepy, okay? But let me just put this out to you today. There's an image associated with the beast, okay? And beasts in the Bible usually are picturing the nations of the world or the power structures of the world. This world system, okay? The, the world, okay? Let's put it like that. The beast leaves his mark on the forehead. He also does it on the hand, okay? What you do, what you think. Okay, we're going to concentrate on the forehead, the mind, the thinking. Thinking influences beliefs. Beliefs influence behaviour. In our contemporary culture today, um, and this is my opinion, okay, you can take it or leave it, but one of the major propagandists of the world system, this beast, okay, the image setterupera, okay, is our media. You look at the television, the movies, the internet, the web, books, magazines, news articles, music, MTV, you look at it. It is pushing information. It is setting up an image. It is pressurising us and the rest of the world to live, to think, behave in a certain way that is other than the original image that God created in our lives. It is relentless at trying to conform us to this world's image. I have anyone there that... Oh, not Ted. Okay, so I'm not preaching heresy. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, we just have a quick look at this because it is insidious, okay? It's everywhere. It's kind of unavoidable. The next one, thanks, Louis. The media influences this image that humans come under, okay? Evolution, it expounds it continually, okay? Chance replaces that original design by God. Humanism, okay? Man is the ultimate ruler of the universe. There is no God. Materialism, the outside is more important than the inside. Stuff, just keep gathering more and more stuff. You need the latest, you need the greatest. Immorality, immorality, it is the hugest pusher of this. It is the hugest pusher of that whole image of, you know, if, if you love someone, do it. Everybody's doing it. Just throw it all out the window. This is the image that is being presented, okay? False religion, okay? It's just coming down the tubes. The new age, cults, every bit of media out there is just pushing, pushing, pushing all the time. Conform to this. Take this on. Make this be what you are. Hedonism, obey your thirst. You can do whatever you want. Fatalism, you know, they present you with like, oh, it's despair. There's no hope. Of course there's no hope if man is the ruler of all things. And then intimidation. My goodness, 
this beast image thing, the media, okay, they fully intimidate us. They will put Christianity down any chance they've got. They're always presenting slander against the church and against God's people. They will never put us in a good light, okay. That is our contemporary image of the beast. We're under incredible influence, we're under incredible pressure. But it's the same kind of thing that happened to Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel and his friends, okay, came up. They butted up against the image of the beast, okay. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the day, erected this massive gold statue. And what was everyone to do? Bow down to it. What did it say in Revelation? If you don't bow down to the image of the beast, you will be... Slain, that's a good old-fashioned word, isn't it? And the same in Daniel's day. I find Daniel's friends amazing. Number one, in Daniel chapter one, you find out that there was this popular culture, this popular diet of the day. They refused to partake in it, okay? They chose a different diet. That's really significant. Then the next thing they did was that they did not bow down to the golden image, So they had a different diet and they refused to bow down. How do we not bow down to the massive image that's presented at us all the time, relentlessly, non-stop? Can I suggest to you that we do not feed on the popular diet? There is a different diet. It is the word of God. And that's where we're heading today. Psalm 119, which I've been sitting in for a while now, it's such a brilliant psalm and All of you that have been around a while, you know that it's the word psalm. It says, turn my eyes away from worthless things and give me life through your word. Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Okay? The mark of the beast, okay, is about having a mark on your mind. But that's a counterfeit idea because all along... God's design is for us to have his mark on our mind, his mark on our forehead, totally marked by him. Have a look at this. Revelation 14 says, Then I looked and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads, okay, on their minds. Revelations 23 Uh, 3 to 4 says, His servants will offer God's service, worshipping. They'll look on his face, their foreheads mirroring God. How cool is that? How does our fallen, distorted image, our fallen thinking, our distorted ideas get restored so that we are renewed to be able to mirror God? Okay, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the perfect image of God. Okay, he's the perfect reflection. Jesus is the mirror. Okay, and Hebrews 1 says, The sun reflects God's own glory and everything about him God uh, represents God exactly. That's the uh, New Living Translation. In the message it says that God perfectly mirrors, that Jesus perfectly mirrors God and is stamped in God's nature. That's cool, isn't it? So Jesus mirrors perfectly. He reflects God's glory. But the radical thing is he gave that up. And Romans 8.3 says, But God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent his own son 
in a human body like ours, except that ours is sinful. In the NRV, it says that he came in the likeness of sinful man. In Philippians 2, 7, it says he made himself nothing. He took the humble form or humble position of a slave and appeared in human form, um, being made in human likeness. Jesus, the perfect reflection of God, became in the likeness of our sinful image, of our sinful state, okay? He bore our shame. He took on our fallen nature, our lost glory, our distorted image, and he put it on him on the cross. That is incredibly powerful. But, you know, eternally, Jesus has been known as the word, okay? Um, All throughout the Bible, from Deuteronomy into the New Testament, the Hebrew people were encouraged to do something quite odd, Um, but very symbolic. Um, God really wanted them to understand that getting the scripture, getting his commandments, getting his word into their life was so important and that they were to pursue it and to remember it. And they used to stick scriptures in these little boxes called phylacteries, okay? Um, And they'd wear them on their forehead there we go again on their forehead so they actually literally used to shove scriptures on their forehead okay and they walk around with them um but it represented the fact that god's word was fully entrenched in their life and that they wanted to never forget okay pretty amazing all right so god's word is a mirror god mirrors god's word mirrors back to us a picture of our life with its purpose of us doing something about it Okay, when we look in this mirror, we are prompted, just like my Alice Cooper face, okay, we are prompted to do something about what we see. Okay, how are we going to recognise worldliness in our life? We look into the mirror of Jesus, we look into the mirror of his word and stuff gets pinpointed because as our life gets cleaned up, then our reflection becomes more authentic, okay? Because God has called every single one of us to be his mirrors and it says here in 2 Corinthians 3 16 to 18 but whenever anyone turns to the Lord anyone here like that turn to the Lord okay oh three people <laughs> I'm preaching to the unconverted this morning okay anybody here has turned to the Lord <laughs> yes okay then the veil is taken away thank goodness now the Lord is the spirit and wherever the spirit of the Lord is he gives freedom or liberty. And all of us have had that veil removed, few, so that we can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him and reflect His glory even more. How cool is that? That is good. But there's a world out there that desperately need a true reflection of Jesus in our lives. Okay, you might remember in ancient times, like in the pyramids and some of those other massive big things that they created, they actually used to use mirrors to reflect the light all the way down into the darkest tombs. And I find that quite amazing, you know, that that, that is such a picture of what our lives should be in this world. We um, lived near 
the most famous lighthouse in the universe. And the lighthouse works on the same principle. If you ever stand there at night and look at it, and you look at that incredible mirror system around those lights that cause that light to be able to reflect out into the darkness, like incredible stretch and with incredible strength, okay? So we are to reflect God's light out into this dark world. So we need to ask ourselves, okay, what, what is my life reflecting? Okay, am I reflecting the image of Jesus or am I reflecting the image of this world? You know, it's a real drag if you need a mirror and there isn't one or if it's broken or if it's um, rusty or foggy or distorted, okay, or if it's tiny. (laughs) Can you all see my tiny mirror? Okay, Neville and I back in the year 2002 were running, heading up a church planning school in Siberia in the centre of Russia there, a place called Chitar. Um, out on a lake called Araclay and it was out in the boonies. There was no electricity, there was no running water, uh, there was no flushing toilets, there were moving toilets but they weren't flushing. Um, there was no showers and there were no mirrors. Okay, and I was lecturing every day and, and that's what I had. That is like, it's not fun as a girl to get dressed in the morning and that's all you can see, okay? Tiny mirrors are not fun. And even my very uninterested in his outward appearance husband, Neville, um, found that very difficult, you know, because at his age he now has hairs that grow out his ears and all down here and, you know, those long ones that come out your nose. So, you know, he had to try and take care of that situation with a mirror this big. Um, And I got quite convicted about that because I thought, I don't want to be a tiny mirror. Okay, people need me to be a big, wide, clean, easy to look at mirror because I don't want them to miss Jesus. What about you? You know, other people desperately need us to be reflecting Jesus. Psalm 24, 3 to 4 says, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Psalm 119 says, How can a man keep his way clean? By guarding it according to your word. Let's have a look at our James reading again. It says, Don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror, walk away, Two minutes later, have no idea who they are or what they look like. Okay, Ephesians 5, 26 to 27 says this, that he, that's Jesus, may sanctify her, that's us, the church, having cleansed her by washing her in the word. Okay, washing her with the water of the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Washing with the water of the word is about acting, it's a doing thing, it's about acting on what you hear the word talking about. I want to tell you something else about ancient mirrors, and this one's actually in the Bible. In the Bible and in ancient time, ancient mirrors were actually made of polished bronze. I don't know how brilliantly they reflected because I've seen those old surf club 
mirrors, you know, the old aluminium ones. They're pretty hopeless, but these must be pretty good. Okay, so they're made out of polished bronze. And for all of you Bible students out there, you know in the Old Testament when they made all the stuff for the tabernacle, and you had Bezalel and Aholiab, the artists, okay, and they got to create all the special stuff that went into the tabernacle and especially all the things that the priests would use. So they made the altar of sacrifice was made out of polished bronze. But there was another thing that was made out of polished bronze. And um, it's called the laver, and which is a, you know, old-fashioned term for a bowl, a dish, a basin. And the priests actually used to wash their hands and their feet in this polished bronze basin before they'd ministered to the Lord. If they didn't, they would die. It was totally imperative that they washed before they ministered, okay? So here's this um, big bronze thing. Okay, we'll take it up. In Exodus um, chapter 38, it says something very interesting. It says, moreover, he made the laver, the washing bowl, um, from the bronze, um, with its base of bronze, from the mirrors of the serving women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So it was actually made out of mirrors. Do you know where they got the mirrors from? The Bible tells us that these women actually served at the tabernacle. They daily were praying, they were hearing the commandments of the Lord, they were daily sitting under the word of God and they had just been rescued out of Egypt. Okay, so this is after the Prince of Egypt movie, all right? Um, and Egypt is a symbol of the, the world, okay? There's our little beast again. Okay, they'd been rescued out of Egypt, so it's very likely that these mirrors had come out of Egypt with them, okay? Highly likely. They sacrificed these mirrors that were once for their own personal um, vanity, uh, you know, personal hygiene, personal looking after. They sacrificed them so that the bronze could be made into this cleansing bowl so that the priests could actually wash themselves and not die. Okay, so the girls laid down the reflection from the world system the world's image, and they devoted themselves instead to the word of God that others might live. What an amazing picture is that? That is pretty incredible. So let's have a look at our James reading again because it's got a little bit more to it. I'm going to read, In simple humility, let our gardener God landscape you with the word, making a salvation garden in your life. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but let the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in a mirror, walk away and two minutes later have no idea who they are or what they look like. And it goes on to say, but whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, his word, the free life, even out of the corner of his eye and sticks with it, is a man or a woman of action. Okay? The scripture tells us that we should be washing in the word. So how do we do that? Many of you for years have heard me talk about um, getting a daily Bible reading, um, possibly using the method called SOAP, okay? And I just want to ask two very special friends of mine to come up and to share with you 
practically how they apply the soap to their life every day so that they can mirror the reflection of Jesus in this world rather than the distorted image of fallen man or the filthy image of the beast. So Ros and Ken, can you come forward and just share how you go about making the word of God be real in your life? Thank you. Do you want to give them a hand? Because they're really brave. Thank you, Sue. Um, <coughs> I'll start by saying, um, as a lot of you know, that it was our first year at uh, Hillsong and <coughs> we were pretty moved by it all. And during the, uh, the week um, in between the speakers in the main hall, there were, are they call electives? Yeah. Um, and Bruce and Anne <coughs> and Roz and I attended, um, uh, which pretty well impacted on, on all of us, uh, the four sessions on Bible studies, uh, the theme being the daily devotions called SOAP, as Sue said, and I'll break that down. S being scripture, O being observation, A being application, and P, prayer. These uh, sessions on Bible studies were attended, we attended with great interest to Ros and I and Bruce and Anne and for many years um, we read together the daily devotions every day with Jesus and the word for today including all scripture readings presented with these devotions. Uh, there were four talks and the first speaker was <coughs> Robert Ferguson, absolute brilliant speaker and he spoke on scripture. Mark Edwards, <coughs> he spoke on observation of the word. Duncan Corby on A for application and Robert Ferguson's wife, Amanda, on prayer. They were excellent and each one of us were really moved by this, this, this sessioning. So I'll hand over to Roz now. Right, I've got some notes here. I can't do it ad-lib, that's just me. <laughs> Um, after our Hillsong experience, I felt I was ready for a deeper walk through the Bible and soap journaling studies we attended was what I was looking for. So I got right into it, beginning with the Bible plan suggested in a book on journaling, which took me through several passages of Old Testament scripture and New Testament scripture every day. Um, I began each day in prayer asking God for the Holy Spirit to speak into my heart what he needed to say to me and then going through and asking the questions of the Rick Warren acrostic application, which is, um, is there an attitude to adjust, a promise to claim, a priority to change, a lesson to learn, an issue to resolve, a command to obey, an activity to avoid or stop, a truth to believe, an idol to tear down, an offence to forgive, a new direction to take, or a sin to confess? And most days, these passages of scripture that I read did reveal things that I needed to deal with. And I wrote pages and pages of observations, applications and heaps of prayers. The prayers I wrote really amazed me, flowing from deep within me. Some days, pages and pages of real heart-wrenching, honest prayers. Just me talking to God, pouring out everything to him. It was something I'd never experienced in such depth before releasing a lot of inner weight, or should I say garbage, that I needed to let go of and addressing areas in my life that I needed to deal with and change. 
I really enjoyed my time with God every day, praying, reading, writing for four months. And then a few things happened where I got behind in my devotions and I was forever trying to catch up. It wasn't the same. I'd become legalistic, reading just to get up to date and to get on with it, so to speak. Eventually it became too much and I stopped journaling. But all the time I had this gut-wrenching feeling that something was really missing and I just didn't know how to get back into it. I prayed and prayed about it and one day when I was in Lismore in the Christian bookshop there was a box of books on a table and at the very top was a booklet which attracted my attention. It was an old copy of Every Day with Jesus titled Wisdom for Living. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And as I picked it up, the sales assistant said to me, all of those in that box are for anyone who wants them. I immediately thought of journaling with this booklet of Proverbs in mind, Proverbs truly being a book of life and wisdom. So I started journaling again, using um, the Proverbs devotional as a teaching journal. I say teaching journal because the commentary by Selwyn Hughes is already there, giving me his comments and great teaching, but not allowing me to personally be guided by the Holy Spirit's prompting of what I needed to personally glean from the scripture I was reading. I then began my personally, personal journey, a uh, journaling, sorry, um, beginning in the book of Romans, reading one to two, two chapters a day, but only one chapter if I felt led by the Holy Spirit to stop there, absorb, journal and reflect on what I'd just read. As I've said, it's an individual and personal journey. Some people may read from a, a Bible plan. Others may read a whole book of the Bible each day. It is, to me, just whatever suits the individual. And the important thing is to begin and journey your way through the Bible with the help of the Holy Spirit's guiding at whatever place you find at whatever pace you find fulfilling. And believe me, when you start journaling, the desire to read more and pray more over time becomes inevitable as you definitely become literally hungry for more but always keeping in mind to pace yourself so it's quality time with God. I really encourage everyone to begin journaling. It will change and transform your life, bringing you into a deeper and closer relationship with our Lord. A quote from Bob Gass, um, which we read this morning, says it all. The rest of your life can be the best of your life if you dedicate it to, the one, to one purpose, knowing God intimately. And I'd like to finish on two readings of scripture, which I feel God is definitely speaking to all of us, as Val said in the Old Testament. Isaiah thirty eighteen in NASB Bible. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He, he, therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. And Isaiah forty four twenty two, the Message Bible I've wiped the slate of all your wrongdoings. There's nothing left of your sins. Come back to me. Come back. I've redeemed you. Thank you, Ros. Thank you, Ros. That, even that in itself, having Ken and Ros stand up here, is, um, is massive. And that attributes to the strength of the word of God in their life. So thank you so much for that. Um, Ken and Ros have done a labour of love. They've actually produced some journals. And um, can I just challenge you today 
that listen to what James says. It's not about just hearing the word. It's about doing, okay? And so you might read your Bible every day, but you might just kind of like fall asleep halfway through the middle of it because you're just listening and you're not doing anything about it. Can I encourage you to um, have a look at this? Take one. Take one today. If you haven't got yourself sorted out on your personal journal or personal word life with the Lord, you don't have to do pages and pages, okay? You can just do one scripture a day. You might start in the book of Proverbs. You might start wherever the Holy Spirit leads you. But there is something powerful in actually writing out the scripture because not only does it help you remember it, but it drives it home so you begin to do something about it. There's something powerful about sitting there and thinking about, okay, what does this mean? That's the observation part. There's something incredibly life-transforming about going, well, so what? What has that got to do with me? How do I apply this to my life? What relevance does that have to me being a mirror of God? And then writing out a prayer about that. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry. Please help me. And just watch the transformation begin. And I tell you what, you know, God has got us on the planet to reach out to people who do not know him. But he needs us to be reflective mirrors, okay, without spot or blemish. And the only way that's going to happen is by us applying the word of God in our life. And if you've never started on the journey of reading your Bible every day, or you've got a bit slack and a bit cobwebby, okay, today is the beginning of the rest of your life. And um, Ros and Ken have um, put instructions in here that you can follow and uh, there's stuff at the beginning and stuff at the end. They have gone all out because like me, <laughs> like me, they are fully passionate to see people's lives get set free by the word of God. Okay, so we're going to pray. These are here. Don't waste a wash, okay? All right? These are here. And you're going to hear more from me in the future. We're going to keep driving this home because I believe that God wants to see this place turned upside down and like us totally grounded in the Word of God so that we can live lives that are just amazing for His glory. Amen? Amen. Okay, so Lord, I just want to pray over these um, exercise books. Lord, I pray over all our beautiful brothers and sisters here. Lord God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that we don't become task-orientated. Lord, we become relationship-orientated. Lord, help us to fall in love with you all over again. Lord, help us, God, to get such a hunger in our hearts to feed on your word, to be washed in your word, and to go out and reflect your glory that others might live. We pray that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.